Well, hello there. Welcome to Cavalcade. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. Cavalcade is brought to you by Harbor Repertory Theater. My name is Keith Bridges. I'm the Artistic Director of Harbor Rep, and I want to thank you for listening. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Harbor Rep's Pandemic 2020 <laughs> Winter Show. We're here uh, on a nice fall day right before it gets cold, and um, put on uh, we do a, a live variety show uh, in normal times. Last... <laughs> Recent, normal times. It was normal recently. And uh, we'll hopefully be doing some more outdoor shows here in the spring of next year. But we wanted to put a little something together. Thanks for the live audience for coming out here. All the leaves. It's very nice to be back uh, doing stand-up, even if we're uh, doing it outdoors at the amphitheater. It's great. You don't usually have children skateboarding in the back of your stand-up shows, and I do enjoy that. <laughs> oh, this is great. This is fun. It's a weird new world we live in. It's, uh, everything's on uh, Zoom. It's all Zoom. It's weird. I went to a, I had to go to a Zoom funeral. It was a pallbearer in a Zoom funeral. It was weird. I just clicked on the casket icon and dragged it down to the trash, you know? <laughs> it was great. The eulogy was just a gif of crying Michael Jordan. Played taps on my Spotify. Here's the thing. I also went to a Zoom wedding, and it was equally depressing as the Zoom funeral. It was exactly the same. I just had to wear a sport jacket and no pants and listen to a bunch of people talk I don't want to listen to. It was like, this is just as much a bummer as a funeral. You should not be allowed to have Zoom weddings. If you are going to make your friends go to your Zoom wedding, you should legally be forced to send them uh, two free takeout dinners and a six-pack of beer. Because I only came to your wedding in the first place with the food and the booze. You've taken that away from me. Also, by the way, I think if you get married on Zoom, you should only be legally wed on Zoom. You can Google Hangout with anybody you want to. That's a, or in real life. Zoom is weird though. It's turned us all into two people, right? Zoom has turned us into the top half of ourselves and the bottom half of ourselves. The top half of ourselves is like what we tell people how we're doing in 2020. And the bottom half is really how we're actually doing. Top half very well taken care of, you know, sport jacket, hair combed, teeth shiny. Bottom half is like one leg shaved, whether you're a man or a woman underwear, spaghetti stains on it, you know, it's, we're basically like a centaur, just like a really ambitious top and a really hideous bottom section. I kind of like the Zoom meetings sometimes, though I hope we get to keep some parts of the Zoom meetings. Like back when we have to go into offices again, I hope you can just be sitting in a meeting. No pants, first off. The pants aren't coming back. If you thought it was hard to get people to start wearing masks, wait till you try to get them to start wearing pants again after 14 months. People are like, I don't know if I believe in the science behind pants. It's not proven. I'm not doing it. I'm an anti-pantser. But I hope we can go back to the Zoom meeting, you know? No pants. You can have like a cat on your lap while you give your presentation. If you get really bored with the meeting, you just close your eyes. You're like, what are you doing? Going to audio only. I don't need to be here. I'm turning my camera off. And the, oh, the worst part about Zoom, I realized, though, because the kids are doing Zoom. That's a bummer. They have to do school on Zoom. Zoom is going to kill the snow day. We're not going to get snow days anymore. 
And then, right, they're never going to do it again. Now, anytime there's a snow day, they, they, what they do, they call it an e-learning day. They're just going to have the kids do the school from their iPad. E-learning day. That sucks. The snow day was the only good part of going to school when I was growing up. The only thing that possibly got you out of bed in that morning was the slight chance there was enough snow that you might not actually have to go to school. You'd wake up in the morning and you'd look out, there'd be more snow than you thought. Like, oh, wow. You run downstairs, you turn on the news. Now you're watching the morning news like you're a gambling addict watching the college football scores. You're like, come on, baby, I need this. I need this. Say it. Say it. Say it's canceled. And they never say your school right away. Somehow they list off a million places you've never heard of first. It's like, no school today for the Jefferson Academy for the circus arts. You're like, say Irondale. Say Irondale. Then they finally say it. No school today for Irondale High School. You're like, woohoo, snow day. You run outside. You're all excited. You can't run outside and be like, e-learning day. <laughs> if you'd have done that when I was a kid, you'd have the crap beaten out of you. Uh, so I'm going to bring up uh, your first performer uh, of the evening. Uh, she was uh, named Growler Magazine's 2020 Comics to Watch. Everybody put your hands together for the fantastic Elise Cole. Hello. I'm tangled. <laughs> oh, folks. My, I just had my ninth wedding anniversary, October 29th. I was married nine years. And I think, yes, thank you. I think that's a big deal. I just found out that most divorces happen sometime in the first 10 years. So it's, I mean, we should cool it because I'm not even out of the first trimester of my marriage. But I think, I think we're good. I think any marriage that survived three months of shelter in place, especially with a toddler, just we should all get a medal. That's what I think. I, uh... I thought things were going well because we both had projects. And I think that's kind of what helped us get through the three toughest months of that really like everything being closed. My husband decided he wants to finish the garage. He's never done anything like that before. So it means every day he goes to Menards for something that he forgot the day before. Like day one, he was like, I'm going to put up insulation. And then he realized he needed plastic sheeting. So day two, he goes back for plastic sheeting and he gets drywall. And then he discovers the drywall is too long. So day three, he goes back for a hacksaw. And then he gets all these ideas. He's like, I'm going to get a projector and like a mini fridge so we can do movie nights. We'll keep our treats out there. Maybe a freezer for some of our vegetables. Or me. I'm like, go nuts, man. Do it. And I thought that things were going well until I started seeing a whole bunch of ads for dating apps. So many all over my social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. I was like, for a hot second, I was like, I, am I getting divorced? Where are all these ads coming from? And so I asked my husband about it. I was like, are you getting these? And he goes, well, no, but I mean, it's based on algorithms. So your age, your demographics, your search history, your purchases, that's what they're, that's what they're selecting you for when they send out the ads. And I was like, I, okay, algorithms make sense. But you went to Menards in a borrowed truck to pick up a deep freezer, a hacksaw, and four rolls of Dexter plastic. <laughs> Who's the Google genius that thinks this marriage ends in a divorce? <laughs> That's what I want to know. What is the freezer for? His body? By going on dates after that, I was here's the only thing that I can think of. Once you hit 40, that's how you preserve all the cosmetics that you need to go catfishing in the Tinder pool. <laughs> that's two years. I'm going to have to start freezing everything that I put on my face. I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. I, uh, our son has been home with us for, for four months, which I'm not sure was great for him. <laughs> I know it wasn't great for us. I don't think it was good for him. He, uh, we basically didn't change anything about what we're doing. Like we let him watch whatever he wanted and we've been saying whatever we want. And his language has gotten a little bit colorful and people did warn me before 
they, before we had kids, they were like, listen, when he starts talking, you're going to have to watch your mouth because he'll repeat the swear words. And I was like, first of all, I don't know why anybody has a problem with that. That's adorable. <laughs> and secondly, I think there are other things that are way more offensive. For example, asking a woman if she's pregnant. Don't, don't do it, right? I'm just saying at any point in her life, a woman can only be two things, pregnant or not pregnant. <laughs> I think if there's a 50% chance that you're wrong, maybe you keep it to yourself. Because if she isn't pregnant, then you basically just walked up to somebody and said, I think you're fat enough to be two people. <laughs> and we don't, we don't do that to men. That's the thing is we don't do it to guys. I would never go up to a guy and go, just kind of gave up, huh? <laughs> not, not you. You look like you're in good shape. I'm just saying we don't, it's not a, it's not a thing, right? I think that's way worse than swearing. My son did try on the F-bomb for size, and it was the cutest thing I've ever heard. I, uh, and I let it go. I didn't discourage him, right? And then I was like, maybe we should reel it in a little bit because this happened. He was playing with his little toy cars in the basement. I'm downstairs doing housework, and he's driving his vehicles along the back of the couch, and he's going, vroom, er, beep, beep, vroom, beep, beep, er, and then he let her rip, folks. <laughs> Okay, could have made a sailor brush, did his mama proud. And I was like, oh boy, can't go back to daycare saying that, right? <laughs> I'm, such, I'm such a bad parent because I'm not trying to get him not to say it. I just keep a running list of things that he can't say at school. That's where I draw the line. And then I make him go through it. Now he's back at daycare. He's there three days a week. He's with other people and I have no control over what comes out of his mouth. So I make him go through the list in the car on the way down there. I'm like, all right, buddy, <laughs> get it out of your system. Number one, no calling anybody a hobo. <laughs> Number two, F, F or F, F in, all of them, off limits, can't do it. And number three, no more car noises. Mm -mm, no car sounds. And I think that our method is working because nobody has complained. But if I do get that call, at least I have a freezer big enough to hide his body in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's going to do it for me. Thanks a lot. Elise Cole, everybody. The fantastic Elise Cole. Now, coming up next, we got some music for you. So everybody uh, enjoy. Uh, the sounds of Leto and Wright. Welcome, Leto and Wright. Okay. Those people were funny, and we're not. Pleasure to be here, pleasure to be anywhere. We're going to take the time to tune because it's important. First song we're going to do is ironic in that it's hopeful and talks about death. Are you there?
far away Fresh may the breezes blow Clear may the streams flow Blue pop green below When I'm far away Everybody, makes one more time. Let and right. That was some mighty fine at picking and singing. That was fantastic. All right, we got uh, some more show coming up for you. Coming up next, uh, we have a reading from the Harbor Rep Theater Company's very own Josh Barrett. This is a Vanishing Point by C.C. Beck. Well, that, well, that's a perspective machine. Well, not exactly, but that's what I call it. And I don't. Now, how it works, it's, it's too complicated for me. A Carter could make it go, but after he made it, he never used it. That's yeah, too bad. He thought he'd make a lot of money with it out there for a while while I was working. Almost had me convinced. But I told him, get it to working first, Carter, and then show me what you can do with it better than I can do without it. See, I'm doing pretty well, as it is, selling pictures. Even if I do go make them all by guesswork, as you call it. I mean, that's what I told him. You see, Carter is one of them artists that think they can work everything out by formulas and stuff. But me, I, I just paint things as I see them. I never worry about perspective and all that kind of mechanical aids. I never went to art school, but I do all right. But Carter, uh, he was different. He wasn't really an artist, he was more of a, a draftsman. So first I got him to help me with a series of real estate paintings I got a big order for. It was big aerial views of land developments and drawings of buildings and roads and causeways and you know, that kind of stuff. And that was a little too much for me to handle alone because I never studied that kind of thing, you know. I thought he'd do the mechanical drawings, which should have been simple for somebody trained like that, and I'd throw in the colors and the figures and the trees and so on. And I did fine. I mean, the job came out good. The client was real happy. We made a pretty good amount of money on that one, enough to keep us out from working for a while. So I took it easy. Fishing and so on, but Carter just stayed here in the studio working on his own stuff. I let him keep an eye on things while I was gone. And then I just drop in now and then to check up. And, and the guy was really nuts on the subject of perspective. And I thought he knew there was, he, I thought he knew all there was to know about it already, but he claimed that nobody knew anything about it, really. He, he said he'd been studying it for years, and the more he learned about it, the more there, there was to learn. He used to cover big sheets of paper with complicated diagrams trying to prove something or another to himself. 
And I'd come into the studio and find him with thumbtacks and strings and stuff all over the place. And he'd get these big, long rulers and draw lines to various points and all over the room. And he ended up with just this little drawing of a cube about an inch square that anybody could have made in half a minute without all that apparatus. So it seemed pretty silly to me. And then he brought in some books on mathematics and physics and other stuff and a bunch of slide rollers and calculators and junk. And he, might, he must have been a pretty smart guy to know how to handle all those things, even if it was kind of dopey about other things, you know, like women, fishing, sports, drinking. He was lousy at everything except working those perspective problems. Now, personally, I couldn't see much sense into what he was doing. The guy could draw all right already. So I asked him, what more did he want? Now, let me see if I can remember what he says. He says, I'm trying to get at things as they really are, not as they appear, he said. I think those were his words. He says, art is an illusion, a bag of tricks. Reality is something else that is not what we think it is. Drawings are two-dimensional projections, a world that is not merely three, but four-dimensional, if not more. I mean, yeah, he's kind of a crockpot, Carter was. And just, just on that one subject, though, you know, he's a nice enough guy otherwise. So here, look at some of these drawings he made working out of his formulas, and they're nice designs. Uh, yeah, they might make good wallpaper or fabric patterns, you know, real abstract. You know, that's what people kind of like. See all those little letters scattered around lines and different kininds of vanishing points they are. You know, so Car Carter claimed that the whole world was full of vanishing points. You don't know what a vanishing point is? Well, let me see if I can explain this. You, so you come over to the window here, and you see how that road over there gets smaller and smaller in the distance? Now, of course, the road doesn't really get smaller. It just looks that way. That's what we call a vanishing point in drawing. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? I, I never could understand why Carter went through so much trouble working out all these ways to locate vanishing points. Because me, I just throw them in wherever I need them. But Carter claimed that was wrong. He said they were all connected together in some way, and he was going to work out a method to prove it. He's, here, here's his little gadget he made up to help his calculations. A bunch of discs all pivoted together at the center, and you're supposed to turn them around so the arrows point to the different figures and things. And here's the square root sign. I remember Carter telling me that. Uh, and this one's a, a tangent function, whatever that means. And log is there. That's short for logarithm. Oh, and he had a bunch of that scientific stuff in his head all the time. I don't know whether he understood it all himself. He built this thing before he put it together, the, the perspective machine there. It's a silly-looking gadget, huh? I mean, all those pipes and wires and that little cube in the center. And don't try to touch it, because it isn't really there. You just think it is. See, that's what Carter called a, a tetrac or a, a, a cataract. No, that's not the right word. It's something else. It's like a tesser or something or other. And there's this picture like this in one of Carter's books. And it hurts your eyes to look at it, don't it? So that's what Carter thought was going to make him a lot of fame and money, that perspective machine. And I told him nobody ever made a drawing machine that worked. But he said that wasn't supposed to make drawings. It's just supposed to give people a view of what reality really is and what, instead of what they think it is. And I don't know whether he expected to charge money to look through it or whether he was going to look through it himself and make some kind of new drawings and sell them. I, I, I can't tell you how it works. And I said before, I don't know. Carter only used it once himself. He came in here the day he finished it, just, just said he was ready to turn it on and just putting the finishing touches on it. And then he says, in a few minutes, I'll have the answers to the questions that may never have been answered before. What is reality? 
Is the world a thing by itself and all that we know illusions? And why do things grow smaller the farther away from us they appear? Why can't we see more than one side of anything at a time? What happens to the far side of an object? Does it cease to exist just because we can't see it? Are, object, are objects not present but non-existent? Because artists draw things vanishing into points. Does that really mean that they vanish? He's a, he's a whack, the guy. I mean, nice guys. He's sort of screwy. And he kept saying more goofy things while he was finishing up the machine about how he'd figured out that all we knew about vision and drawing and so on must be wrong. And that he, he got to look at the real world and he'd prove it. And how about cameras, I asked him. You take a picture with a camera, it just looks just about the same as a drawing, doesn't it? He says that's because cameras were built to take pictures like we're used to seeing them. Flat, two-dimensional slices of reality without depth or motion. Even 3D moving pictures, I asked? Well, they're closer to reality, he admitted, but there's still only a cross-section of it. The shutter of a movie camera is closed as much as it is open. So what happens in between the times that it's open? You know, he went on, people used to think that matter and motion were continuous, but scientists have proved that they are discontinuous. Now, some of them think that time may be too. Maybe everything is just imaginary and appears to our senses in whatever way we want it to appear. We're so well-trained that we see everything just as we are taught to see it by generations of artists, writers, and other symbol makers. If we could see things as they really are, what might happen? We'd probably all go nuts, I told him, and he just smiled. Well, here goes, he said. It's finished. Now to find out who was right, the scientist and philosophers who say reality is forever unreachable, or the artists who say there isn't any reality, that we make up the whole thing to suit ourselves. He moved one of those pointers you see there, and he squinted around at the different scales and dials, and then he stepped back, and that little Tessie thing appeared. It's real small at first, just a little point. You could hardly see it. I couldn't see anything else happening, and I thought he was going to do something else to the machine. And I turned to look at Carter and saw his face as white as a sheet. Good, good God, he said, just like that. Good God, that's all. Well, I says to him, well, who's right? The scientist or the artist? He said, the artist. And he sort of screeches, the artists were right all the time. There's no reality. It's all a fabric of illusion. We've created ourselves. And now I've ripped a hole in that. And he gives a strangled hoot and then goes hightailing out of here like something was after him. Jumps in his car and roars off down the road and disappears. Now, I don't mean he really disappears. <laughs> he nuts. No, he just roared down the road till he got so small you couldn't see him anymore. You know, the way things do when they go farther and farther away, it happens every day. That's what us artists mean by perspective. Now, the machine, I don't know what to do with it. If Carter ever comes back, he might not like me getting rid of it. I was thinking maybe I'd put it in a hobby show at the county fair next week. You notice how that, that funny-looking cube inside there gets bigger every time you look at it there? See, it just doubled in size again, see? Now, people at the fair ought to get a big kick out of that. There's no telling how big it'll get with all those eyes and people looking at it. Come on, let's go fishing. You better hurry or be too late. Josh Barrett! All right, we got uh, a little more comedy for you, and then we'll, uh... We're losing the daylight here. We gotta, we gotta do it. It gets it's dark early now. All right. 
Uh, all right. Well, we got well, one more comic coming up for you guys. Uh, he's a very funny guy. He's a good buddy of mine. Uh, he opens for me on the road a whole bunch. And uh, he was named 2017's uh, Funniest Comedian of Minnesota by the House of Comedy. Uh, make some noise for the very fantastic James Wells. All right. Thank you, everybody. I'm James, and uh, I was a hot tar roofer for 20 years. If you're not familiar with that, uh, remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? Remember what they were doing on top of the prison? Well, I work with those guys once they get out of prison. My first day at work, I got, I got a nickname from my Latino coworkers. I am known as Poito. That's okay. I didn't speak any Spanish when I started, and this was before the internet, so I had to wait until the end of the day, drove home, showered, ate dinner, went to the library, checked out a book in Spanish, found out they'd been calling me baby chicken all day long. And I'm not sure why, if it was because of my really skinny legs or mostly because of the fact all I did was run around like a little chicken with my head cut off. The first week, my full nickname was actually Bominos Pollito. Just hurry up, little chicken. But by the end of the week, it was Muy Bien Pollito, and some of the older guys would even give me cigarettes. Uh, after uh, 15 years of being the little chicken, I got promoted to foreman because nobody else wanted it. And it took me two years to figure out why. First rule of business was, I was like, hey guys, we got to have a team meeting here. Um, no mas poito, por favor, okay? I, I'm, I'm the big bird now. I'd like a little bit of respect. It'd be really cool if you guys called me gallo, which is rooster in Spanish. These guys looked at me like, no, we raised this stupid skinny gringo from just a tiny little baby chicken. He will never, ever be the big cock to us. So we compromised. I am now known as just plain pollo, just adult chicken. That's it. Um, my first year's roofing foreman, one of the guys told me that for many years he has only worked for stupid gringos and that I am not the stupidest gringo. I was like, wow, I'm putting that right on top of my LinkedIn account. Um, the second year I was roofing foreman, they hired another long-haired, skinny gringo, and he got a nickname from the Latinos, and they called him Pollito Dos. Pollito Dos had a smartphone, so he knew he was being called Baby Chicken at break time. And he comes up to me with his phone in his hand. He's like, hey, boss, uh, the Mexicans are calling me Baby Chicken. What are you going to do about it? said, uh, I'm going to call you Baby Chicken. They're in charge of the nicknames. Also, like to remind you, there was a time and a place at this company where the name Pollito used to mean something, okay? I'm going to give you till the end of the week to hear one muy bien pollito dos, or you should probably look for a new job. Also, like to remind you that this is a roofing company. There's no HR department here at all. It's pretty much just snitches get stitches. And I didn't hear any Mexicans calling you baby chicken. I just heard you call some El Salvadorians Mexicans. Google map that. Oh. Uh, I think I got a little bit of time left. I'll wrap it up. Uh, as a construction worker, I do need to address the issue of sexual harassment. It's kind of our thing. And I would like to apologize to the three women that are here tonight. I'm sorry if you ever have been catcalled by a roofer, but I would like to ask you, ladies, have any of you ever been catcalled by a senior citizen roofer in Espanol? It's totally different. I learned from the master. He's a 55-year-old man from Honduras, and what he would do is he would just walk up to the edge of the roof and yell into the street, Hola, chica! Hola, chica! 
And when they'd look up, he'd go, Dios mio, mi corazón, which is my God, my heart. And then he'd put his hand on his chest, and he'd fake like he was having a heart attack, and he'd fall backwards. But then he'd come back up and start doing a little dance all the way to the edge of the roof and tip his hat. See, I don't think that's sexual harassment. That's showmanship. All right, thanks, everybody. I'm James Wells. James Wells! James Wells, everybody. Oh, man, that was fun. This has been nice. Thank you guys for coming out. This is good. I, uh, I'll say a couple more things real quick. I, uh, so we've been thinking about selling our house, and um, I'm kind of dreading it because I remember when we bought the first house, you have to go look at everybody's houses, you know, and, and the realtors, they do this thing, they, they call it staging. They try to make it look like somebody still lives in the house, but they try to make it look like the most boring, generic white people in history live in that house. So it's like bland paintings. It's like, it was like a centerpiece on the table that's a wicker basket full of smaller wicker balls or something. Oh, yeah, that's what I would do if I lived here. Like, where, where are the family photos? And it's like, hi, this is my, my son, Bland Jr. This is our daughter, Generica. And uh, we had a great time living here. But it doesn't, it doesn't help me picture me in the house because it's not staged like a house I would live in. If you're trying to sell me the house, you got to make it look like something I'm familiar with. You know, maybe fan out some unpaid bills there on the uh, dining room table. You, while you're at it, just go ahead and put a guy uh, living in the third bedroom upstairs because there's no way I'm going to be able to afford this place by myself. Yeah, it's weird buying a house because I don't, I don't really understand money. I don't have a lot of money. People think when they meet me, maybe I understand money. I don't. It's just the glasses. That's it. When you wear these glasses, people think you understand money and they think you're smart, which is weird because the only thing having these glasses proves that I've read is an eye chart, you know, and I got it wrong. You don't know why. Luckily for me, at least my wife is very successful, uh, which I'm reminded of every year at tax day. That's a tough one for me. Tax day is the only day of the year that I see my wife's annual income in black and white right there in a line next to my annual income as a stand-up comedian. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, sweetheart, yours has a comma. <laughs> Get one of those one day. I'm from the South. We don't do money. <laughs> it's not our thing. I am from the South. Uh, I moved to Minnesota 10 years ago. When I moved up here, uh, I love it, by the way. I love Minnesota. It's great. It's the only place I've ever lived where I've heard somebody say something like, this jello is too spicy. You know, That's fun. When I moved up from the south, all my friends, they were like, why would you leave the south, man? Why would you go up north? It's way better down here, man. Nope. We had a little contest in the 1800s to settle this one. It was a pretty definitive ending to that. Kentucky's weird, though. There's more, more deer than people in Kentucky. There's deer everywhere. Every 10 feet, you got those yellow triangular signs, like the deer jumping on it, you know? What's weird, though, is we have those same yellow triangular signs in Kentucky for Amish people. It's weird. It's like little family on the buggy or whatever, you know? And it weirds me out because when the deer population gets really thick and starts causing a lot of traffic accidents, we hunt those guys. I know, right? If the Amish start causing a lot of wrecks, you're going to see a guy up in a tree stand like, dangling a hot loaf of sourdough bread over the road, you know? He's up there doing Amish calls. Jebediah, Jebediah. <laughs> I kid the Amish. They're not here. We're on Zoom. They can't be here. We can say whatever we want to about him. <laughs> That's fine. I like the Amish. I'm thinking about converting to Amish, actually. Well, I'm pretty far behind in my electric bill right now, so. That way I'm not a deadbeat. I'm devout. Yeah. 
Um, thank you guys for joining us. It's been a weird, it's been a weird time. I'm used to weirdness, though. I'm accustomed to it because my wife is weird. She's a very strange lady. She turned to me one time out of nowhere, big smile on her face, and she said, Honey, don't you think it'd be romantic if we died together? <laughs> of course, I said, Yes. Obviously, yeah. Of course, sweetheart, you know. Or I could drive. I'm Brian Miller. Thank you guys very much. Thanks for coming out to the Harbor Rep Winter Variety Show, taping and Zooming. We hope you guys had fun, and uh, we hope to be doing some live shows next spring. Thank you guys very much for all your performers, Leto and Wright, Elise Cole, James Wells, Josh Barrett. Thank you very much. Have a good night, everybody. Stay safe and stay healthy. Cavalcade is created by artists all over the U.S. and produced in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul by Harbor Repertory Theater. Harbor Rep is Mario Baldessari, Robert Burrell, Rachel Bridges, Elise Cole, Tiffa Foster, Raina Kay, Brian Miller, Zachary Olson, Neil Patrick Peterson, and me, Keith Bridges. Check out our website at cavalcadepodcast.net. You can find out more about us, share us on social media, donate to support the show, sign up for our email list, subscribe, or I don't know, whatever you do with a website. Or hey, maybe just leave us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, thanks for listening. Thank you.